You are listening to the Quarter Transmissions Episode 3. And now, here are Craig and Jeff. Welcome to the Tricorder Transmissions. I am Craig. And I am Jeff. And this week we are going to be talking about uh, the third episode of the series, the uh, original second pilot, yep. Where No Man Has Gone Before. But before we get into the episode, man, has it been a newsworthy week I for Star Trek. Crazy. Yeah. You know, how a, how a show, uh, the age of, of Star Trek, the original series, still winds up getting uh, into the news in some way, shape, or form. So... Uh, interestingly enough, this uh, past weekend there was a there's a show out there now. It's really popular. Uh, I have a lot of friends that watch it. I, I I must confess that I personally haven't watched many episodes. It's a show called Breaking Bad. Uh, it's on the AMC network. AMC network, I believe. Yeah, 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 AMC big big time network nowadays. They have a lot of popular shows. Yeah, that and The Walking Dead. Yeah, well, you know, between the two, it's a powerhouse. Their whole business model, powerhouse. Yeah. So uh, they have the, the show called Breaking Bad, uh, which you know I won't give you too much of a rundown. It's about a, a teacher who has cancer and gets into selling, uh, creating and selling drugs to fund his rehabilitation. And at any rate, uh, the the episode that aired last weekend had a really funny uh, Star Trek: The Original Series reference in it. Uh, two of the characters in the show were having a conversation. Uh, one of them has uh, in his own head has written a uh, Star Trek the original series episode which turns out to be really really funny uh, <laughs> it's it, uh, it 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 revolves around a uh, a dead time for the crew mm-hmm. they're they're kind of floating out there in space bored with nothing mm-hmm. to do right and they put on a pie eating contest of all things uh, you know silly as it sounds he actually gets really deep into telling this story that he's come up with. Yeah. So it turns out to be, uh, you know, the whole crew is involved at some point, and you know, the replicators churning out these pies, and everyone's eating them, and they're slowly but surely everybody starts kind of bowing out. So it winds up being down to Kirk and Spock and Chekhov of all people, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Kirk, Kirk finally craps out. He, he repeats. He repeats, which yep. is the uh, competitive eating term for uh, throwing up. Throwing up, yeah. So. <laughs> He he uh, he he vomits, and so it's left down to uh, Spock and Chekhov. And, and Spock is the the king of and Spock is the eating, king of yeah. competitive eating, apparently because of his Vulcan physiology. <laughs> He's not susceptible to uh, overstuffing as uh, humans are. So, but but one thing Spock does not know in this uh, scenario is that Chekhov has worked out a deal with Mister Scott. So Scotty is down in the transporter room. <laughs> And is actively beaming the pie <laughs> that Chekhov ingests out of his body and into space. So Chekhov <laughs> is effectively not eating anything at all. So he could eat this pie endlessly. Oh, for days. What a great idea, yeah, right? Yeah. What a great idea. Uh, so, <laughs> so it turns out, I guess, Scotty winds up getting distracted by Uhura. Yeah. Who walks in the room with... Uh, with her feminine wiles, and uh, Scotty accidentally beams all of Chekhov's innards out into space. So that that's doesn't seem like it would be an episode that would have made air, but yeah. it's a funny thought. And you know, the reason why I was so fascinated with this was um, the guys who write this show. They they have to have some some affinity for Trek because mm-hmm. of the, some of the things that they reference in this funny uh, you know uh, bit about star trek so it imparts to me that they they have some some knowledge uh, of the show and some respect for the series and one of the things they mentioned is that uh, Chekhov has a bet riding on himself winning this contest and the bet is in Quatloos right so we have a little uh 
a little reference to the Triskelion episode, which <laughs> is really not that great of an episode, yeah. but that's the that's the time they mentioned the currency Quatlus. Uh, there's also a part where they're talking about the pies that they're eating, and they say, and he says it's a, a, a certain type of berry that comes from the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> yes. And the other guy corrects him and says, "Dude, the Delta Quadrant's Voyager, man. Mm-hmm. You can't have you can't have Delta Quadrant berries <laughs> yes. in 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 the original series." So he changes it to blueberries. But it's kind of funny knowing that uh, you know. And I, I wonder how many of those jokes. Would would those little subtleties would fall flat if you didn't if you weren't a Star Trek fan mm-hmm. you wouldn't pick up on these things but I immediately picked up on them yeah yeah so uh, and I showed this this um, this clip to Craig earlier and uh, did you get a kick out of it oh yeah totally and actually um, I've heard for a long time how great Breaking Bad is and this might be the um, the thing that pushes me over the edge to uh, queue up my uh, my Netflix um, this weekend. And really, maybe start mm-hmm. digging through the the early episodes. Uh, I know that they're in the the second half of their final season now. So, uh, yep. um, well, I'll warn you now that I, from what I understand from people that I know who watch this show, it is ripe for binge watching. Okay. So be careful. Hey, I you know uh, I'm actually pretty good. Uh, as Netflix has has introduced their original programming, um, they did it with uh, the show Lilyhammer, which had Steve yep. Van Zant. Um, that show I treated like a regular TV show. I said, wow. you know what? Wednesday nights at eight o'clock is Lilyhammer night. So Good for the six or seven weeks, I think that show ran six or seven episodes. Every Wednesday night at eight o'clock, I sat down, turned on the TV, and treated it like it was airing. Um, I've do- I did that with the new season of Arrested Development, which I'm still wow. going through. Good on you, man. Orange is the New Black, I couldn't do that with. Really? That was a show that I blew through 13 episodes Jeez. in a matter of days. And I felt I haven't bad. Even watched be- that yet. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's about a, a woman who goes to prison. Yeah. Um, it looks good. I've yeah, heard good things. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And I kind of regret not devoting like Thursday nights to it but yeah. it was just so compelling wow. that I just had a had a uh, breeze right through it but uh, I will try and uh, not be an addict <laughs> if you will um, <laughs> yeah. with, with breaking bad and you know maybe as a, as, as the show it's progresses. a hell of a commitment man yeah well hey I got time <laughs> <laughs> actually not really based on uh, doing this uh, the Star Trek podcast which uh, requires a lot of watching yeah. and you have another podcast yeah. that you do too yeah. so you know mm-hmm. the Camel and, Clutch uh, mm-hmm. Camel Clutch Cinema yep. which if you're a fan of wrestling or movies that have wrestlers in them um, mm-hmm. would be right up your alley yeah um, <laughs> but speaking of movies uh, the uh, last weekend in Las Vegas <sighs> there was the annual Star Trek convention the oh. big one um, you know, they do a, a, a sort of a, a satellite version of this convention yep. put together by the same people here in Jersey, which yeah, we went to. It, to. Yep. Uh, but this is the, the daddy of them all. This is the yearly one. You had William Shatner at this one. And apparently they took a, a fan poll mm-hmm. and Into Darkness, the latest J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, ranked number 13 out of 13 Star Trek movies. And there are only 12 Star Trek movies. <laughs> yes. Apparently, and I keep saying apparently, um, they included Galaxy Quest in this um, <sighs> submission process you know, or ranking I, I have, process. That To me, that automatically disqualifies this poll. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, Galaxy Quest is hysterical. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Yeah. It's not a Star Trek movie. Yeah. How can you rank that against Star Trek movies when it's not a Star yeah. Trek movie? Yeah. That, to me, disqualifies mm-hmm. the poll yeah. completely. Yeah. But we can say, so it, it, in fairness, it ranked 12 out of 12. And I know when this new story hit, I sort of called you up and I said, hey, we got to talk about this, yeah. this Star Trek list. And uh, it's interesting because... Not only are you ranking the movie um, against uh, the other original series movies, you're ranking it against the Next Generation yeah. um, movies as well, which is kind of unfair. I think even ranking the two newer Star Trek movies against any of the other movies is unfair because yeah. as much as they take place in the same universe with yeah. you know an alternate timeline or whatever... Mm-hmm. They they are a different franchise. They are. They are. Um, but I do know that you rank this movie a lot higher than I, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and I maybe do. Um, maybe on the website we'll share our our list of um, 
of how we rank these, <laughs> the Star Trek movies. But we're inviting <laughs> criticism here. <laughs> but that's the great thing yeah. about about uh, any yeah. anything that is subjective to your enjoyment of it. Um, yep. You know, I think it's, you know, unquestionable, really, uh, that, you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, hands down, Wrath of Khan is the best Star Trek movie. Rarely will I find a Star Trek fan mm-hmm. who who will deny that, that or, or will say that they don't think Wrath of Khan is the best yeah. Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's got to be people out there, oh, yeah. that, you know, that I Star Trek the motion it. picture is their favorite because that's probably the truest to the spirit of Star Trek, if mm-hmm. you will. You know? And uh, I will say unabashedly as someone who likes the final frontier uh-huh. yeah. that I take a lot of crap for liking that movie. Mm-hmm. And I do, I, you know, I'll, I'll defend it even though I know it's futile to do, I'll still defend it. Yeah. Resistance is futile, but I will defend it. Well, I'm sure Shatner would love to hear that you uh, defend that movie because the final mm-hmm. frontier was one of the ones that he directed. I believe. Yep. Yep. You know, and, that was when they were letting anybody direct Nimoy directed part, uh, the voyage home. Yeah. Right? Um, he directed Search for Spock, I believe, too. Yeah, yeah that was sort he, of how yeah. they got him back to play Spock. Spock yeah. Is hey, let me direct it. And then I guess by part five, Shatner was like, "Hey, uh, I can wait do a this minute. Too. Yeah, I can do this too. <laughs> Am so, I going to get to direct one? Yeah. So I uh, guess at some point we'll have a maybe we'll do a supplemental show sometime where we discuss because if we're going to put our our rankings out there. <laughs> In, in in order, I, I would like the chance to <laughs> defend myself because you know while we 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 talked about this the other day, yeah, and while we agree on the first two and the last two in the list, mm-hmm. everything between those is kind of mixed up in a way, you know. So I rank certain ones higher, and you rank certain ones lower. So I I would like, and I I know that my list, I I guarantee Mm -hmm. you, is going to draw some ire because Star Trek V is not towards the bottom. So that in itself is going to gain me a lot of negative feedback. Yeah, so maybe we will devote an episode, uh, a supplemental log to that. Yeah, Um, sometime in the future. Yeah, maybe uh, after, sometime after we get through the original series. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but this week we are talking about where No No Man Has Gone Before um, and you have some of the air dates. Yes, I do. Uh, so the um, the air the original air date for this episode was September twenty second of nineteen sixty six. Interestingly enough, it was the the second pilot made, but it was not the first episode aired, which mm-hmm. was an interesting choice because airing it out of order like that kind of is jar- and we talk about yeah. this is kind of jarring, uh-huh. right, for the fans. And the remaster came out on January twentieth of uh, 2007 mm-hmm. so and one more int- note that just came to me uh just this just came to my to my head because we were talking about the uh, into darkness being ranked at the bottom of the list it's a really fortunate time that this came up because during uh the the uh the period of time where uh fans were theorizing about who the villain in the movie would be uh, there was a lot of talk about the villain being gary mitchell yeah who is the villain in the episode we're about to watch mm-hmm. so yeah. i think it's kind of timely that uh you know into darkness came back up yeah just in time for us to talk about this mm-hmm. and, and and before we get started i'll give a really quick um synopsis an encounter at the limits of our galaxy begins to change lieutenant commander gary mitchell and threatens the future of the enterprise and the human race itself so it sounds like we've got um, a pretty exciting episode in front of us and, and i guess ride. we'll uh We'll start our countdown and get and get to it. All right. So uh, talk us through. All right. So in three, two, one. So it's the third episode that aired, yep. but this is the second pilot that was filmed. Yep. After the cage was deemed too cerebral, um, they sort of regrouped and um, came back with um, a new cast for the most part. And a, a new pilot episode uh, where no man has gone before. And there it is. The first time we were seeing Captain Kirk, played by William Shatner, and and uh, Leonard Nimoy as the returning Mr. Spock. And we'll notice that Mr. Spock has some higher eyebrows yeah. in this one. They, they, they changed the way his eyebrows look to make him look a little uh, less satanic. Yeah, he's got kind of a yellow tint. Yeah, and his makeup is a little bit different yeah. in this one too. He's he, they went went with like a greenish yellow, and there's still a little bit of a smirk there on his face. Yeah, the, the, so the, the Spock character wasn't fully developed. Yet. Yeah, you'll notice you'll notice he's been changed quite a bit, but he's not quite fully baked. I mean, they they kind of combined the number one 
uh, from the original pilot yeah. with the this Mr. Spock character to create one character. And he's still he's not in his blue uniform yet either. Yeah, they're, they're using the recycled cage um, uh, uniforms. Yeah. But actually, one of the uh, one really important fact to note about this episode is that this is the first time you hear about uh, one of Spock's parents being a human. Yeah, well, he refers to it as an ancestor, ancestor. too. Yeah. They, they, either they hadn't figured out that it was, uh, that it was one of his parents, or you could argue or, or yeah. take away from it that Spock didn't want to reveal right, that one right. of his parents was, was human. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a historical sore spot for him. So, uh, hey, look how, look at Scotty in the background yeah, there. And, and that's the first time we didn't see Scotty in, the two previous episodes. No, or, I don't believe he appears yeah. in those episodes. And and Scotty, of course, is wearing the gold color too. He's not in his red uniform here either. Yeah, I mean, this whole episode, I'd imagine, was kind of weird for viewers. So this is the third week the show was on the air in 1966. Yep. And you know, you you, you get you get you sit down on what Friday night to watch it. I think it was Friday nights. Yep. And you've watched two weeks worth, and then this third week. You get kind of a different episode. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. Uh, but this episode is significant in a couple of different ways. And uh, something that was mentioned on one of our previous episodes uh, that, that we thought was correct is that apparently was not correct. Out of all of the Star Trek episodes in this particular series, this episode has the highest body count. Really? This has a 12-man body count. Okay, Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, are we counting the people uh, that they find on the planet? No, no, you're uh, count. You're counting the people from the um, the other ship, the uh, the the nine that's. Oh. Uh, well, not not the other ship that when when the energy storm hits, there's yeah. nine people on the Enterprise that die. Okay. And Spock says nine people died. Yeah. And you get three other deaths, which uh, I won't spoil in case uh -huh. anybody's watching this for the first time. Yeah, and I actually just got some of my episodes confused. I watched a bunch of episodes this week. All right. Um, trying to play catch up for uh, for the show, so uh, forgive me there. No problem. So here's Gary Mitchell. Yep. Um, who we learn um, has a long history with Kirk. Uh, Fifteen year history. They they were in what I guess Starfleet together. Yep, and they're pretty good friends. Yeah. At this point. So and you know and Kirk is uh, Kirk's making a couple jokes here. You know, kind of like a little, little uh, neck cutting joke here, and he's, yeah. he's a little—he's still a little more jovial than he winds up being uh -huh. in the rest of the series. And here we see Kirk has a, another female yeoman, so which is kind of different because you've seen in the in the first two episodes that aired, he had Rand. Janice Rand, yeah. and in this one, so yeah, I guess if you um, if you were watching this originally in '66 when it aired, it would be kind of confusing. Because you wouldn't really know exactly what was going on here, why certain characters were who they were, why the uniforms had changed. Yeah. Or... McCoy disappears. He's yep. replaced by two doctors on yep. this yep. episode. I mean, it really, it's almost amazing that they aired this at all. I'd imagine they said, hey, well, we spent the money to produce the episode. You're damn sure we're going to air it. Um, I'm surprised Roddenberry didn't have, you know, more... Uh, you know, problems with the with the order that they broadcast things in. Um, but for me, I mean, it really, and here's the um, the two doctors with uh, Sulu there, who isn't really established as the helmsman yet. <laughs> no, and Scotty, who's not really established well either. And we have uh, an, another guest star here. Yeah, Sally Kellerman uh, of Hidden Valley Ranch... Uh... <laughs> And back to school. Yeah, back to fame. school. Little did she know she'd go on to be uh, Rodney Dangerfield's uh, straight man in a in a, a funny, very funny comedy movie oh. later on in life. Oh, one of Rodney's best. Yeah, absolutely. So Sally Kellerman's uh, character, she is playing a doctor, uh, Doctor Elizabeth Denner. Denner yes. Um, and then the uh, the gentleman between Scotty and Sulu, Sulu looking very pensive, um, is the the doctor for this episode, I guess. Um, and notice how he's still kind of elderly and grumpy looking. Yeah, there. yeah, I mean, yeah. They he had that part of the character <laughs> down. Yeah, he almost looks like Philip Baker Hall. Um, he was the uh, the book detective on Seinfeld. Oh wow! <laughs> and also, he was uh, in Boogie Nights. Wow, wow. Um, 
One thing you'll notice about this episode, one of the reasons that I actually really like this episode is Spock speaks very loudly <laughs> throughout this episode. Yeah, it's, like he's, it's like they cranked up Spock's volume. He's Yeah, it's almost intense. especially when he's giving um relaying information during um you know, the energy storm and the or, yeah. yeah. Um yeah. it is interesting uh watching Spock's sort of progression is, is pretty interesting because I think we're probably an episode away from getting the Spock, Spock that we know and love. You know, another another fun fact about this episode is it it really it, it focuses a lot on ESP. Yes. You don't hear about ESP any at all in the series no. after this. You do hear about telepaths yeah. and empaths, but they don't mention ESP. Yeah, I, I'd imagine maybe ESP in '66 yeah. or you know I, the mid '60s was just starting to kind yeah. of like catch on as like you know uh, that, that's a, what the, I was the, thinking. A buzzword. It might have been a hot button topic <laughs> back then. And that's one one great thing about this entire series is that you, when you're watching this, you see things that were important at the time that the series was being written. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the characters that they reference or, or, or uh, you know, urban legends or legends and heroes of the past that they mentioned meant a lot more back then than they do to some people now. I mean, oh, yeah. when, when people, younger people would watch this now, they might be awful confused as to where all these characters they, came, they were talking about came from. Mm-hmm. So now um, we're getting word that the uh, the ship that sent the distress call, the SS Valiant, was destroyed, was destroyed yeah. uh, which is kind of, you know, reminiscent of the cage. Uh, the cage in this episode sort of have, you know, yeah. if you read the plot synopsis, it's, you know, at the very beginning, it's very similar. You know, answering a, a long lost distress call and then well, something happens. You know, there are so many episodes in this series that that start out with distress calls. Mm-hmm. They're always answering a distress call from somewhere or something, and it winds up getting them in trouble. I like how they have the um, the fast food uh, ordering little yeah. microphones there on the on the little the, yeah. the metal arms. And that'll that'll be the last time we see that as well. Yeah. Um, that'll, that'll, that, well, that's the only time it made an appearance in the series. Uh, Sensor beam on. Yeah. You know, not counting the uh, the cage or uh, I guess any of the footage we see in the menagerie. I don't even know how yeah. how much of the the bridge we see in the menagerie. So here we have this ion storm and Spock speaking yes, extremely his, uh, loudly, <laughs> yes. which is really contrary to his character. Yeah, and I just love how you know you sort of had this group of people on the bridge observing. <laughs> you know, you you've got Sulu who up until this point has. You know, just sort of held his uh, hand on his chin. Uh, I guess he didn't have much else to do. Yeah, and you know, they're bracing to go into this energy storm, and there's people just standing there. You know, you would think that they would either sit down or otherwise brace themselves for what could be some very rough space ahead. (laughs) Yeah. But no. No, they don't. Well, and that always seemed to sort of be an an issue with, with Star Trek is... The bridge wasn't really designed for any kind of, you know. No, not at all. You know? It wasn't really conducive to having extra non-essential personnel. So there was no gallery seating. And the bridge takes some some severe damage here. It definitely does. And they're putting the ship the on manual. They add. <laughs> so any minute now we're going to see uh Oh, uh, a like, couple of people here get zapped. Yeah. By some lightning, and apparently the lightning only targets those who have ESP. Boom! There for some reason or another. So Sally Kellerman gets zapped first, and there is Gary Mitchell getting zapped and going down. Lateral power. So here comes Spock to help out. So, uh, any interesting facts you got there for us? Well, we can talk, one? I guess, while we have a little bit of uh, action going on. We can talk about the uh, creative people behind the scenes here. Sure. The episode was written by Samuel Peoples, who died in 1997. Yeah. He, his career started actually writing Western novels. Hmm. Um, and one interesting Star Trek-related fact is he also wrote the first episode of the animated series. Very so cool. that's pretty neat. And he also wrote episodes of The Rifleman and Bonanza. Hmm. And then the episode was directed by James Goldstone, who died in 99. And um, he also, uh, around that time, directed two episodes of The Outer Limits. Oh. So, uh, and now we've got Gary is going to have a very, very cool reveal here 
when he uh, he wakes up. Um, yeah, you're going to see some very interesting, uh, for the time. Yeah. You know, it's a, a really interesting uh, point about those contact lenses that they, they were wearing. They look like they hurt like hell. They were actually uh, what they call scleral lenses. So, yeah, it was... So, they were custom-made scleral lenses, which were very painful, but... Sally Kellerman didn't have a problem with them. She was used to contacts already, so they didn't bother her. Uh, but uh, Lockwood could barely tolerate them, and the only way he could see through them was by holding his head in a slightly upper angle and looking down. So that almost like sort of dictated his performance, and it actually enhanced his yeah, performance. Yeah. That's kind of neat to making him look more aloof yeah. and superior. There's a lot of times during this episode where you look like his eye looks irritated. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no other way to do that back then, except for and, we're and now we're at, seeing uh, some some ESP notes. Yes, the, the esper oriented abilities. We're seeing some notes in the uh, the the crewman's log here. So we're we're seeing a, a a connection between the SS Valiant and their ESP searching of their records, mm-hmm. and um, the crew members who were hit by the lightning. And Spock has figured it out, as usual. <laughs> so she has a high degree of ESP. Yeah, we're going to get a little talk of ESP. And it seems like there is a, a little bit of a uh, sort of ESP prejudice. Mm, uh, <laughs> I'm detecting it as well. <laughs> so, you know, I guess they're, they're trying to make us sympathetic to the uh, the Esper's plight. Yeah, and, and Spock is pointing out it. the dangerous parts of these ESP. So it's almost like you've got these uh, X-Men types. Yeah, yeah. Spock even mentioned st- setting stuff on fire. You know, he almost, uh, you know, was making warnings about that uh, Stephen King novel, Firestarter. Firestarter, yeah. Or yep. even even Carrie. Um, yeah, yep. Or though I guess Carrie was more of a... So here you get a really good yeah. shot of those contact yeah, lenses, the is. silver he, reflective contact he's lenses. absorbing... Um, information from the uh, the ship's records, and let's talk a little bit about Gary Lockwood. Okay, um, he uh, I think is probably aside from this episode, he's most famous for playing Frank Poole in two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, um, which would which come out a couple years later. And between nineteen fifty nine and two thousand four, he appeared in forty theatrical and made for TV features. And get this. Jeez. 80 TV show episodes, including Murder, She Wrote, Simon and Simon, Trapper John M.D., and T.J. Hooker with William Shatner. Wow. They go full <laughs> circle, man. You wrap right back around. Yeah. So he had quite a career. Uh, you know, he's been relatively quiet since 2004. Yeah. So here we're getting a little bit of a, a demonstration of, of Kirk's concern for Mitchell. And Mitchell is indicating that he feels better than he has in, in his entire life. Which so. Is, mm-hmm. We're getting into the the thematic part of this episode where this is Star Trek is pretty famous. At least this Star Trek series is very famous for uh, tackling themes or, or, uh, you know, approaching uh, specific stories. And the story that we're seeing in this episode, of course, is uh, seemingly normal people gaining godlike superpowers. Right. We've seen this before Mm -hmm. in other venues. It's it's been done uh, tons and tons of times. We've seen this uh, done in different shows and movies but in this respect we're seeing it done in it in it with a star trek spin on it mm-hmm. so what we've what we've seen so far is an energy storm mm. in space right yeah yeah so as other superheroes have been created in the past or super villains as the case yeah, yeah. May be, it's almost like something out of a marvel comic book right 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 the so they, they get shocked by this lightning this space lightning yeah Fant- it's almost a fantastic four <laughs> right right yeah exactly so now, now they they he hasn't really started to realize uh, any of his power. They seem to develop rather slowly at first. Uh-huh. But the the thing that I think is cool about this episode is that it's not just one person that gains powers; it's two. Yeah, and you get to see them both developing uh, at slightly different times. But you can see how one goes in one direction. Sure. And the other one chooses to remain uh, as a, a good guy, if you yeah, will. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a morality play, sort of. You know, yeah. it shows how the effects of that, you know, it, it shows that the power doesn't immediately corrupt. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, two, they're from two different walks of life, of course. One's, mm-hmm. a, one's a doctor, 
and the other is essentially a service per a service yeah. person, a soldier, military person, a, you know, space explorer. And there he is absorbing uh, mm -hmm. some text again, and we we learn through Spock that he is actually with every flicker he's reading, he's he's mm -hmm. uh, he's taking in that information, and there they are, sort of spying on him. Yeah, a little interesting yeah. layover there with the with the the images of the text yeah. that he's taking in. Spock is saying that this Gary Mitchell is 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 the Gary Mitchell you knew is pretty much gone. He's developing powers at a, a an alarming rate. Mm -hmm. um, the increase in speed uh, that he's reading, and, and Spock basically uh, pontificates that. And within, here Gary knows they're yeah, watching him. <laughs> very creepy. Uh, basically pontificates that, you know, within a matter of, of days or, or hours or, or weeks, uh, Gary's is going to be, uh, oh, there, and there's our medical, uh, if you notice, I, I get a good glance there at that, that medical panel up top and two of the columns say blood underneath them. Yeah, I know. I think one says temperature too. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll see it in, a, in an up, another episode where we get a pretty good close up of it. So he has nothing plugged into him. So I guess we can assume that it works without being attached to you in any way yeah you don't have to have any you know needles or probes stuck on you or in you yeah there must be either sensors in the bed or uh yeah. or just maybe in that general area or it interfaces with whatever little dongle the doctor's holding you know uh yeah. what was that little thing that comes off the tricorder that sort of uh yeah, can, I, uh, what's the name of that thing? It's a little, the little thing with the, it looks like a little capsule. Yeah, I think there's probably many a, a Star bottle, Trek a fan yelling at the uh, at their uh, at their listening device right now. Lungs, brain, <laughs> temp. That's the, some of the other ones there. And it's interesting because sick bay pretty much has the look of a 1960s hospital. It kind of does. <laughs> Which so, will change as the series progresses. Now, interesting. Another interesting thing about this is so the the lightning storm affects people who have ESP and grants them some other power. So, the powers that they seem to be granted go well beyond what what normally is expected of people with ESP. You know, the powers that people get. You know, you think they have telepathic powers where they can um, mm -hmm. they can you know read your mind or they can put images into your mind. Uh, they can. And, and Gary they just, can sense things that are coming or quote unquote start fires yeah, or flatline so, yourself. So what <laughs> we what we've we found is that Gary can uh, he can control his own metabolism. He can make himself appear dead and he can or he can also uh, manipulate the computer systems and cause the gauges to go up and down. So he's developing the ability to control electronic equipment mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're graduating beyond what normal ESP is. Later on, he'll develop even further mm -hmm. uh, powers that go beyond. Yeah, and I think right now he's at a – minus the eyes. He's at, a, a, I think, a pretty cool point. I mean I'd like to be able to sit here on the couch mm -hmm. and um, sort of raise and lower the volume uh, with thought, change the channel with the blink of an eye <laughs> – you know, uh, have a glass of water brought into me from the other room. Uh, well, pretty soon, uh, the air. <laughs> if you get you get yourself one of those newfangled uh, game boxes that are coming out in the near future, you they, they have that. You can just kind of speak into the air, and it it controls your television for you. So it won't bring you a glass of water. But uh, now she's asking him to recall a page out of a book mm -hmm. to test to test his new. Uh, memory power so apparently the energy storm has also granted him uh superhuman uh, photographic memory yeah written by tarbold on the in Canopus 1996 <laughs> and he and he points out it's interesting that she picked that line because it's considered one of the most what romantic um couplets from uh from the 90s uh, a sonnet uh of the past couple centuries so apparently uh, mm -hmm. Poet poetry in the in the in the mid to late nineties uh, sort of saw a resurgence. It's funny that didn't happen in in our version of the nineties. <laughs> yeah, instead we got what boy uh, bands <laughs> and Pearl Jam. Boy bands and Pearl Jam. So. Well, I guess you could say Pearl Jam was was had some good songwriting abilities, but yeah. I don't know about the boy bands. So here we have another. Uh, Poor unfortunate that's not going to make it through the episode coming in. Yeah, and he's got like that. Um, 
What's that? What's that uh, actor? Uh, goodness, um, all the girls love him. Uh, he was in Drive and um, Ryan 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 Gosling. Ryan Gosling. He's kind of got a, like a Ryan Gosling look, doesn't he? Yeah. If, they, a, if, if they, they ever remade this episode as a movie. <laughs> <laughs> So now Gary is warning him about uh, checking a, a, a part on the ship that if it, if it goes unchecked will uh, will basically destroy the ship. Yep, yep, it's got damaged, and uh, so this gives us the idea that he can sense things mm-hmm. that are well beyond his local area. So he's he's sensing uh, problems with ship's equipment, and he, well, you know, and he gets oh, pretty much dismissed a little bit there. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, he hasn't. Yeah, he's he's remarking that uh, they haven't noticed that he's kind of looking up in the air and seeing things. And yeah, it almost seems like he's starting to feel pity for people um, that they're, you know. Um... And he's saying he's saying that he saw the image in Kelso's mind mm-hmm. of the part. So yeah, and here we are. We see the burned out. Part kind of looks like a shock absorber. Yeah, and uh, Doctor Daner's come in, yeah. talk a little bit about uh, Gary and Spock is again expressing his concern about what Gary's turning into. He seems to have quite a bit of insight into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was expressing a sort of concern about. Spock's ability to uh, to sort of let his emotions show, uh, based on the fact that uh, him and Kirk, mm. neither one is really able to sort of uh, step back yeah. and look at the situation from a sort of a, a human perspective and say, "Hey, this is Gary. This is you know a colleague, a guy that we've worked with for a long time." Yeah, you know, and this is another one of those situations where the Spock character in this pilot is only partially baked because if this had happened further along in the series, I I would think that Spock would want to study what was happening to, uh, to Gary and not, uh, you know, immediately jump to uh, either getting rid of him or, uh, or, or trying to, to, to to put him away or solve a problem Mm -hmm. here because he's seeing a future problem developing. Yeah. Yeah, now they're they're coming up with the, and we've again yeah, got is... Scotty and uh, Sulu and the and the Doctor sort of just observing again, uh, you know. Yeah, and oh, and she's insisting that he's turning into a better, uh, more advanced human being mm-hmm. with a higher power. I wonder. I wonder if at this point she realizes that it might be happening to her as well because she didn't react to the lightning. As quickly as Gary Mitchell did, although she will later. Yeah. So, so here's Sulu now laying down for us. Um, the mathematics of of the the uh, the increased acceleration of, uh, of of Mitchell's powers. And Spock is warning that very soon uh, he's going to grow in power mm. so much that uh, humans are going to be nothing but an annoyance to him. Spock has an alarming amount of insight into this. So, no, Miss Kirk is dismissing everybody. He's done with the conversation. So, it begs the question, though, what what would all of them do if they had been endowed with these powers? You know, Spock already developed some interesting abilities later on in the series. Nothing quite to this extent. Mm-hmm. But he does develop some interesting abilities as as his character gets written and more fleshed out. But what would, what would happen? What would Kirk have done mm-hmm. if he was one of the ones that got hit with the lightning and developed these powers? Yeah, I think either way, you you can't function as a, a working member of society anymore, regardless of how you you use your powers, um, either for good or for bad. I mean, mm-hmm. I just think, um, at least within the confines of this show, um, you would have to be left on a deserted planet <laughs> yeah. to sort of amuse yourself. So there's another, uh, this is another deviation from what Spock, I think, would normally have done. He's in, he's suggesting that Kirk either strand Mitchell on a planet 
or kill him outright. Uh-huh. That is, uh, that's really kind of mm-hmm. over the edge for Spock's character. Yeah. I think he would have to get pushed really, really far in order to, to come to that conclusion mm-hmm. normally. You know, we've seen, as we will see in many other episodes, there are situations where Spock could have easily uh, remedied a situation by killing someone, but he opts not to do it for whatever reason. So, Well, logically, yeah, Spock will take everything to its logical conclusion and then decide whether it's worth doing. And, and Spock, you know, warned him interestingly here that, you know, Kirk's got to make a decision, but mm-hmm. at the same time, the captain of the Valiant waited too long to make his decision and it cost everyone their lives. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can't help but wonder if this situation might have been uh, another one of those times where if, if it was approached a different way by Kirk and Spock, if they could have influenced the way that Mitchell developed. Hmm. Uh, you know, because it seems that he's Mitchell is developing this way because he senses people are getting scared of him or spying on him. Uh, and I would imagine it would start to really annoy him. Uh, probably would annoy me, too. Mm. You know, if my former my friends, people who I've been you know in space with for years or people I've been in the academy with mm-hmm. for years, all of a sudden started to doubt me. Mm-hmm. And that's and now, a, great, a great effect. There. It was very cool. And now he's also developed telekinetic powers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd also imagine, though, that as his powers develop, he's losing more and more of his personality. Maybe. Um, You know, uh, I think he's relating less and less to the human side of himself. That's quite possible, but I don't think that would necessarily be the case with every person. You know, this would happen to. I think it really depends on you at your base. I think it speaks a lot about somebody to to see the some develop this way what kind of person he was was on the inside you know as he develops these kinds of powers i think if you were inherently a a good person and you develop these powers you would you would start to think of ways that you could help people instead of thinking of you know how you can you know flick people off like insects and and uh, uh you know oh here's gary telling him he should kill him while he can yes mm-hmm. and look at the phaser that spock has on his belt <laughs> yeah and, boom. and we have lightning capabilities. So with, Gary can now defend himself with uh, force lightning. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing to talk about, though, is the real implications of somebody like this existing mm. in any kind of modern society, be it ours or the future that is Star Trek. And if it's even feasible, um, how people would react uh, it would have people questioning a lot of things that they believe. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there, there are people out there that would be ready to worship him as a god. Uh, I wouldn't and then, doubt it. And then how do you respond there? I wouldn't doubt it. Well, I think that uh, at least people in an authoritative position would probably react just like Kirk and Spock are mm-hmm. reacting with you know fear and distrust. Mm-hmm. See, and now he's now he's exhibiting. He's he's getting angry, and he's mm-hmm. you know ready to use his powers for uh, for what we would consider evil. And he's stunned just enough to just sort of be hunched over there, uh, so they can transport down to the planet. And uh, before we continue this discussion, um, here we see a wonderful matte painting, and um, the matte painter for this um, was Albert Whitlock, who was uh, considered one of the best matte painters of all time um around this time he also worked on alfred hitchcock's the birds he would go on to work on the sting and he won two academy awards for his work uh one Mm. on earthquake the uh, charlton heston movie and then another one on the hindenburg so uh the matte painting is kind of you know uh an old hollywood staple um you know it's it's mostly been replaced now by uh by working computers but uh, that was an Albert Whitlock painting that was uh, incorporated into a, a live-action shot. Very nice. cool. Very cool tidbit there. So now we see they have beamed down to the planet, and uh, they are in a little facility here. And they're looking to oh, what, repair um, some of the damage that um, th- that hit some of their the components of the ship. 
Yeah, and they've also locked Gary up behind a, uh, a force field. Yeah. So there was there was a must be a, a brig down here in this facility that they've beamed down to. So now you can see you can really see why you know Gary is getting increasingly upset with them because now they're you know they've locked them away again. Mm-hmm. You know I think it's uh, I think it's proof positive to Gary that they don't intend to take him back with them. They're going to leave him there. You know and it's and. Now he's, he's pleading this to him is as it. a friend. This is it. Now he's realizing that, you know, Kirk isn't the man that he thought he was, or uh, he feels that Kirk has turned on him. Yeah, and he's basically telling the equivalent of a story, uh, hey, I took a bullet for you, <laughs> you know? And, and he's asking and Kirk why how... he's afraid of him. Yeah. You know, he's asking Kirk why he's afraid of him, and I, I think he's got a valid point here. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. Kirk's giving it back to him, you know, Um you know, it's 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 you know, it's kind of a cool character moment for Kirk. You know, it shows that, you know, he's not gonna let, you know, Gary sort of paint him into this, you know, hmm. version of how he wants Kirk to feel about himself. Yeah. And now Gary is telling uh, telling Kirk that he should kill him as Spock wants him to. And telling him he's a fool if he doesn't kill him. Yeah. Gary's not yet powerful enough and yeah, he's boom. temporarily lost his power. The force field apparently re- drained a little of his strength, but up, he comes right back again. So we see that it is possible to weaken him, which is a pretty important point. Mm-hmm. So he's not completely indestructible. And there he is doing that that yeah, you definitely notice the head uh the head tilted back. Yeah, and imagine how, you know, he had to wear those things for hours hours and hours and hours. And, you know, as as somebody who just recently started wearing contact lenses, I can tell you, you know, if you're not used to putting things in your eyes, that that can definitely cause you some serious discomfort. So I got to give the guy some props for being able to remain professional and, and pull us off. Mm-hmm. So there's Scotty replacing yep. some of the uh, the damaged bridge equipment, and he and he uh, he's kind of turned around and gave this look like, "Hey, what a boss am I, man?" You know, it was just a real a real cool look, like uh, like Scotty saying, "Yeah, that's what I do." Yeah, and Boom. Scotty, yeah, and you know, it, it, it's a, just a foreshadowing of all of the uh, engineering heroics mm-hmm. that we'll be seeing from Mister Scott over the years. He really uh, he really comes through. And Kirk is still conflicted uh, about uh, leaving Gary there or killing him. And uh, Spock is is talking about his logical outlook on things. And uh, there's an interesting phaser rifle that Spock is carrying that I don't think we ever see again after this no, episode. Uh, yeah, th- that was a- another holdover from, from the pilot. And uh, interestingly enough, I actually have a uh, it's it's buried in my closet at this point, mm-hmm. but I have a poster. A, oh, really? a Jim Kirk really? poster um, where he's of, got the phaser where rifle, he's basically holding that phaser rifle. Yeah, I had so. read that he did some they did some promotional materials where that that phaser rifle appears. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we see that Kelso uh, is, is going to be getting a commendation here. And uh, some of the landing parties going back up. Yeah, it'll basically be uh, what Kirk Mitchell and uh, and the Doctor staying behind, and Spock and Spock, yellow Spock. Yeah, it's... and Gary seems to be kind of lost in thought there. And Kelso will be on the and he's they're going to blow Gary up, I guess, and he knows it. And Daner is staying behind. Yeah. Got a weird kind of fade there. And we see that he is, this is uh, occurring at the same moment. Yep. Yeah, boom, he's got the got telekinetic that. powers and here boom, is... you've uh, talked too long. It's yep. like being pulled off stage, but yep. instead he is getting choked out. And here's our first uh, on-camera death of this episode. So that's 10. 10, bod- 10 down. 
So there'll be two more. Who will they be? Hmm. We're still arguing over whether or not. Uh, Here he uh, is again. He should have killed, killed me. It's almost yeah. becoming like a uh, a taunt. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got a point. Well, because but at this point too, he knows. Boom, and there we we go. Some more, some more shots. And uh, you know, I, he knows that uh, Sally Kellerman's on his side, so of course he's not going to give her the force lightning. Yeah, and then we're gonna get a in uh, a reveal here. Yeah, I wonder if uh, if he knew all along that she was going to change into what she's just changed into. And there they are, admiring themselves in the mirror. And that aloof look on Gary Mitchell's <laughs> face. So now you basically have two gods. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the, and here's where we'll start to see how they develop in different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, she seems to retain more of her human side than Mitchell does. Mm -hmm. We learn uh, Captain's just learning that Kelso is dead, and, and Spock uh, is alive. Spock is alive, thankfully. Then, yeah. Don't give him a pill. Ah, Kirk does not want Spock to go along. No, and it's interesting that in 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 the pilot here that uh, the doctor is giving them pills. Yeah, which <laughs> you don't really see that. Yeah. much. Yeah, that would almost seem like later in the series that would be something that McCoy would consider barbaric. <laughs> yeah, and shoving a pill down your throat, exactly. Everything's done by hypo spray after this. And now so. Kirk is giving a, a, a famous captain-like order. If you don't hear from me in X amount of time, leave. Yep, yep, that'll become a theme later on, too. And he's not saying only leave. He's also saying destroy this, this planet. planet. <laughs> yep. Take... Or destroy this section of the planet. Yep. They're gonna... So they're going to go off here and they're going to uh, kind of have some discussions on uh, what they think they should do. And Now, it's kind of interesting because technically, Kurt could have just beamed up with the doctor and Spock, and they could have hightailed it out of there. But instead, yep. Kirk is basically saying, hey, this is a mess that I have to clean up because God forbid, yep. God being a funny word to use, God forbid somebody comes along and, and stumbles upon these two. Right, right. And and here we just saw Gary's developed yet another power. Yeah, he can make he can, some kick -ass. He can manifest yeah. things out Flora. of nothing. He can yeah. either uh, change matter into other matter or uh, uh, generate life where there wasn't any. So he's almost like a, a, a Genesis project in himself, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he, they're exploring this new oasis that Gary just waved his hand and created. Yeah, he really admires his handiwork. And there he is drinking uh, some of yep. that fresh water. He made a very strange-looking grape bush <laughs> that's uh, apparently uh, spawning some white grapes. And he's telling uh, the, the doctor that... Uh, She'll 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 get to where he is. Yeah, she'll catch up slowly. It took her a while. Oh, and Kirk is sneaking up on them with this awesome looking contraption of a phaser rifle. For a, a society that wasn't really war based, that's a very warlike looking weapon. Yeah, they have an awful <laughs> lot of uh, weapons. And now uh, there's a. Mitchell's pretty much keyed into the fact that, that Kirk has, has, has come looking for him. Yeah. Oh, and he's given away his position. Yeah. So, seeing the powers that Gary has developed, if you could pick one of those powers to have, which one would you take? I gotta say, the ability to create things out of thin air. That's pretty damn cool. That is. I mean, again, with the analogy of sitting here on my couch... You know, if all yeah. of a sudden I decided I want a, a plate of meat, meatloaf and mashed potatoes, boom, there it is. Boom, there it is. All you do is think about it. <laughs> yeah. And wave your hand. Interesting. Yeah. How I might about have you? to go with. I might have to go with that one. That that's a pretty good one. Um, probably the most useful, uh, as long as it wasn't a limited. You could just create anything you wanted to. Mm -hmm. That would pretty much take care of about everything. Yeah, I mean, the only drawback is you probably realistically never need to leave the house. Maybe not a bad thing. <laughs> not in this day and age, anyway. Uh, and now Gary can sense Kirk coming from a mile away. 
Uh, and now the doctor's yeah. got the power. She can see him as well. And, you and, know, with, with the power that Gary has, he makes some weird-looking fruit. <laughs> I don't know what that stuff's supposed to be, but it does not look appetizing in the least. Yeah. And Gary's basically now trying to pull her over to the dark side. He's saying, I want you to see mm. what this power can do. And he almost wants it to corrupt her the way it sort of corrupted him. Yeah. And she's sort of playing into it right now. I think she's kind of, you know, in, in that, that, you know, that moment where you're sort of drunk with, with you know, I think anytime you have any kind of power, you know, there's that initial moment where you're, you're sort of drunk with it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So... You know, she's still trying to make up her mind, I think, where she's going to go with this. And uh, I think she needs a demonstration of uh, the extreme evil uh, use of this power to really drive home that uh, she shouldn't Mm -hmm. take that type of an advantage of these gifts. Mm -hmm. See, and and there's Kirk making the argument that the doctor was saying... Soon we'll be able to to sort of evolve uh, in a way that would have taken man millions of years. And Kirk says that's all well and good, but uh, what's Gary going to do with his power? Which is the big problem. And and Kirk gives a, a a possibly one of the best acting performances of the series here, where he he he's pleading with the doctor about uh, mm-hmm. a va- various things, and he's given many impassioned speeches mm-hmm. before. But uh, this one, this one is very good. He's really trying to appeal to her sense of of her yeah. sense of humanity. Her her the doctor part of her who's uh, compassionate and kind and wants to help people. Mm-hmm. And she's warned him that Gary is on his way. Nice little roll there, and boom. the 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 phaser rifle has no effect. And he's developed yet another power. He is pretty much completely indestructible at this point. Yeah. And he flicks the phaser rifle away. And he's <laughs> yeah. and he's basically uh, let it. He's letting it be known that he is gonna kill Kirk. And he's trying to figure out the best way to do it. And he's talking about how he's going to bury Kirk. And he's got a grave dug right there. How convenient. It would be more convenient if there was a tombstone. And boom. And there it is. There we go. With star dates. <laughs> yes. And it says James R. Kirk on it, by the way. Oh, uh, yes. If you happen to notice. Yeah. this uh, We would not learn his uh, his middle name until what? The animated series? And it's also his middle, his middle initials actually starts with a T, not an yeah. R. Uh-huh. Uh, there's been, there are a couple of explanations given later for why it, there was an R there. One was it was a nickname that Gary had for him, Rhinoceros. Uh, so, they, um, but you know, it, it was a pilot, so we can forgive. Mm-hmm. You could almost also say that probably back in '66, with uh, TV technology the way it was, a lot of people probably weren't even able to make out what was written on that tombstone. Yeah, you know, I had read that when I was reading into the um, the remastered editions. The one of the things that I read that was very interesting. That when these shows were originally broadcast, a lot of them were were broadcast, you know, from uh, copy, you know, tape copies that were sent to different affiliate stations and yeah. over, you know, questionable strength airwaves. So what you really saw on your TV looked nothing mm-hmm. like what we're seeing mm-hmm. now. Yeah, and I think that's the 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 interesting thing about a lot of um, stuff that was shot on film in the '60s uh, that gets restored. Um, you know, people don't understand that, you know, they were working with technology that was, was very, very good. Um, and it's just a matter of it needed to sort of be, uh, you know, taken to the level of, uh, you know, of how good it could look. And, and here we have the two gods fighting. Shooting lightning bolts at each other. Yeah. Uh, the doctor basically realized that, that Gary cannot move forward the way he is. Yeah, she saw how he was torturing Kirk and realized that he's kind of grown mm-hmm. too powerful and and too uh, too evil with his powers. And yeah, and there he's he's lost his powers momentarily, and the doctor's warning Kirk that he doesn't have a lot of time. So we're going to see a double axe handle pretty soon, which is one of our uh, our favorite moves yeah. in Star Trek. And boom, there it is. 
And we got a nice stunt performer there. And uh, <laughs> while we're watching the fight scene, it's a good thing to mention that this scene, uh, from what I understand, was the scene that sold the series to the network. Sure. Well, it's got the action they were looking yep, for. They were looking for the action and... They Kirk delivers is one of Kirk's finer fight scenes. Yeah, and he's already his shirt's already ripped. You know, this is some uh, seriously good fisticuffs going on here, and this this doesn't look um, nearly as as uh, choreographed and and up uh, oh, too uh, late. Yeah, and Gary's power comes back. Yep. So much for that. Yep. I don't think Kirk has much of a chance at this point. No, it's it's almost time to uh, fall in the grave and roll credits, and uh, it was a good series while it lasted. We made it one whole episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. that was a nice flip move, too, there. Yeah. Yep, Gary. Up, up and now into the grave the they go. And Kirk definitely jumps out, and, and, and here we go. He's going to grab the phaser rifle. Boom. Buried alive. Oh, and the tombstone yeah, fell on top it, of him it first. It looked like it hit him in the in the in the Ooh, bread basket too. Ouch, man. That was good thinking by Kirk. He didn't try to shoot Gary. He immediately went for the rocks to, oh, to yeah. fall on Gary. So, yeah, you know, he, Kirk's he, got some uh, fighting chops. Yeah, he had telegraphed that. Yeah, he uh can think on his feet. Mm-hmm. Now the interesting thing there is 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 the fact that that was enough to to sort of do Gary in. Yeah, well, I guess he wasn't completely indestructible. You know, the energy rifle can't hurt him. Yeah. Uh, The Sally Kellerman's power could hurt him. But I I think he wasn't immune to physical damage. Yeah, yeah, especially from behind, I guess. Yeah, you know, the, the, the crushing power of those heavy rocks. Yeah, and so we've lost the Doctor... It didn't take much to kill her off. Well, no, she took quite a few shots from Gary, though, you know. Uh, and there, Spurk's gonna, Kirk's gonna, gonna beam up. With so now, up. as the episode's winding down, let's talk about the uh, essential or non-essential nature of this episode, the first pilot, right. where no man has gone before. You go first. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna say that. In spite of a lot of the things we see here that might be sort of cool character moments, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything essential in terms of character history that makes this an essential episode. And I was I would almost argue that the sort of use of stuff that's left over from the original pilot causes more confusion than anything else. And I think... As cool as this episode can be, I, I would not consider this an essential watch. Um, I mean, historically, of course, it's the second pilot, so it's hard to say. But I think if you really look at it, between the differences in Spock and 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 the differences in the the look of the the, the show itself, it's 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 a non-essential episode. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on this, and I I do consider this an essential episode. Mostly from a historical standpoint, I, I think it's it's really cool. I like the storyline, but I think it's really cool to see uh, the the introduction of Kirk as a captain and see how much of him really held over, and to see the development of Spock into what he was or what they thought he was going to be, and how he got from one place to another in his character development. Um, I think it's great from a from a guest star point of view. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool to see uh, some people who you may see in other shows on this episode and, and see how they worked with the Star Trek cast and with the story. Um, I, I think we, we disagree, mm-hmm. but uh, with good reasons on both sides, I can definitely see your point of view on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a you know from a series point of view, you could probably get a lot of this information or all of this information about the characters other places, but. I think my most of my reason for saying that I think this is essential is from a historical standpoint. I think mm-hmm. it's cool as a pilot. I think it's the the episode that sold the show. So I think from that point of view, it's it's really worth watching, uh, just to see. Especially that last fight scene is probably one of the better fight scenes in all of Star Trek, in my opinion. Yeah, sure. 
Fair enough, fair enough. So that right. is uh, brings us to the end of this episode. And as always, uh, we'd like to thank you for sitting down and watching Star Trek with us. And we will see you next episode. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. I ever tell you about my Star Trek script? Star Trek script? Yeah, I gotta write it down is all. The Enterprise is five parsecs out of Rigel 12. Nothing's going on, neutral zone is quiet, the crew is bored, so they put on a pie-eating contest. The whole crew's in the galley. They're eating Tullaberry pies. Tullaberry? Tullaberries from Gamma Quadrant, yo. That's Voyager, dude. Okay, blueberries then. They're eating blueberry pies as fast as the replicator can turn them out. Finally, it's down to just three. Kirk, Spock, and Chekhov. Okay, Spock always wins these things. How is Spock gonna beat Kirk, yo? Spock's like a toothbrush. Look at Kirk, he's got room to spare. Spock has total Vulcan control over his digestion. You wanna hear this or not? Yeah, yeah, go. Okay, finally, Kirk, he can't take it anymore. He yorks. Now it's just down to Chekhov and Spock. But Chekhov, you see, he's got a whole fat stack of quatloos riding on this. And he has figured out a way to win. He's got Scotty back in the transporter room, locked in on Chekhov's stomach. Every time Chekhov eats a pie, Scotty beams it right out of him. Where is he sending him? The toilet? Space! Oh, there's blueberries just floating out there, frozen because it's in space. And Chekhov is just shoveling them into his mouth. And, and Spock's like, I can't believe this Russian is defeating me. Meanwhile, Scotty's in the transporter room fiddling with levers when Lieutenant O'Hara comes in and she's got, you know, her big pointies and Scotty's fingers are all sweaty. No. Chekhov screams. He sprays blood out of his mouth. Oh. Scotty beamed his guts into space. No way. <laughs>